Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. today. Today we're going to be in chapter uh, two of the book of Luke. So if you have your Bible and you want to grab it and you want to follow along with us, again, we're going to be in Luke chapter two today. It's probably the most famous set of Christmas uh, verses that there is. Luke chapter two, it's the famous, um, uh, the Charlie Brown Peanuts Christmas special. Luke chapter two, that's what Linus recites, right? Whenever he lights, please, <laughs> and he recites Luke chapter two. Uh, so you, you, may, you may recognize this. Um, Luke chapter two, I, I always think of, it's funny, I always think of my brother reciting Luke chapter two because we have a home video from back in the day of him like reciting Luke chapter two. And Zach, whenever he was little, had a terrible lisp just a terrible lisp. In Luke chapter two, not a great set of verses to read if you have a lisp. Like just listen to some of these words. Caesar Augustus, census, uh, Quirinius, Syria. That's a lot of S's for a little kid with a lisp, right? (laughs) So he's just, it's the cutest little video. And then I just have to tell this story. This is like a little, like this has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's just funny. (laughs) So uh, my brother, Whenever he was little, he did have a bad lisp. And so the speech pathologist at his school, like at his elementary school, I had my parents in for a meeting to like just talk about it and talk about ways that they could help him. Um, And my parents did not plan this. Like they both just did this on their own. So they go in to meet with the speech pathologist and they sit down. They're like, well, Mr. and Mrs. Young, uh, I brought you in. Uh, I just wanted to see, I'm sure you are, but I just want to ask, are you aware that your son Zachary has a pretty severe lisp? Kid you not, both of my parents replied, yes. Kid you not, (laughs) speech pathologist was not thrilled (laughs) about that reaction, (laughs) but they said yes. And so, yeah, all of that to get back on point. Let's jump into the sermon for the day. Hey, if you're ready to jump in for the sermon, why don't you say yes in the comments, all right? Let's, (laughs) oh man, all right, here we go. We're gonna be in, like I said, Luke chapter two. Now, if you're following along, chances are you have an NIV Bible or an NIV translation. That's what you're reading from. Don't be thrown off. I'm gonna be reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation. I'm gonna be reading from that. You'll understand why in just a little bit, Uh, but just don't get thrown off. If as we're reading, some of the words are a little bit different uh, than what you have in your Bible, that's why. It's a different translation, but this is what it says in Luke chapter two, starting in verse one. At that time, the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. All right, so today we are continuing this series, Divine Detours, and what we're looking at is expectations, right? That's what we've been focusing on, this idea of uh, how do we handle things in life whenever our expectations don't match our experience, because that happens all the time. It especially happens during the holiday season. Routinely, we'll have expectations of other people that are up here, expectations of ourselves that are up here, and it just doesn't really hit it, Right? just doesn't really hit. It happens all the time. And so we've been looking at how we handle those letdowns, how we handle these expectations that have to go 
under edit because of circumstances or our choices or other people's choices, how we can handle those things and how we can find the divine detours that God has for us in the midst of those because they're there. There are divine detours in the midst of our edited expectations. We just have to find them. So just a real quick recap. Week one, we talked about Joseph and Maury, not Mary. It, if you know, you know. If you don't know, go back and watch the archive, all right? But we talked about Joseph and Maury. We talked about this idea of the expectations that we put on other people, the expectations that we put on other people. Uh, and essentially, the, the main gist of what we were talking about is that I can't let unmet expectations that I put on someone else ruin what I experience from God, Right? I can't allow that to happen. I have no control over someone else and if they'll follow through on something. And we use the example of our watch parties, like here at church, that maybe you and your spouse or you and your family all agreed, like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna get back to church. It's the Christmas season, we're gonna get back to church, we're gonna start the new year right, getting back to church, doing what we know we need to do. And so you've made that commitment and then as it got closer to the watch parties, they start backing out. The rest of your family backs out and what do you do? Because of that unmet expectation, you decide, well, I'm not gonna go either. Like, I don't wanna go by myself. I'm not gonna go either. And we talked about we, we can't do that. We can't allow unmet expectations from other people to ruin what we experience from God. They back out, man, you still come. You still come by yourself. Don't allow those unmet expectations to ruin what God has in mind for you, what he wants you to experience. That was week one. And then last week, we uh, looked at the mess in Messiah, the mess in Messiah. And we talked about the idea of the expectations that other people put on us. And we looked at Jesus and we looked at his family tree that we see in the book of Matthew. And I mean, his family tree is a mess. Like it's a mess. There's prostitutes in his family tree. There are murderers in his family tree. There are uh, idolaters, adulterers. There, I mean, it, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. And you're looking at this and you're going, this is the family tree of the son of God? How's that work? <laughs> like, uh, not quite what I expected out of you, Jesus. Not quite what I expected out of your family. And the thing is, Jesus didn't just let people's expectations down in his family tree. He let people down in his ministry all the time. We talked about numerous examples where Jesus did not fulfill and did not meet expectations that other people had put on his life. And so if Jesus let other people down, what in the world should I expect out of myself? I can't please everybody. I can't live up to everybody's expectations. If the son of God could not do it and did not try to do it, why should I? Why should I kill myself trying to live up to the expectations of other people? So that was last week and that takes us to today and what we just read from Luke chapter two. And today, I wanna tell you, we're getting in the thick of it. We're getting in the thick of it. Today is gonna be uh, pretty intense because Whenever we're dealing with people, which is what the first two weeks have been, right? The expectations that we put on other people and the expectations that other people put on us, whenever we're dealing with people, we would be silly to expect anything but edits to our expectations. Because I just check, are you perfect, Owen? No, no, Owen's not perfect. I'm not perfect either, man. No one up here is perfect. No one in this church is perfect. There's not a single perfect person out there. So what's that mean? Any expectations I have of you or you have of me, chances are I'm not gonna be able to live up to them because I'm not perfect. So we should expect expectations from, to be edited from other people and to have to edit our own. That should be expected because we're dealing with people and people are not perfect. But what about God? What about God? That's when things get hairy. That's when things get difficult. That's when things get really, really frustrating and, and really, really confusing and it can 
you know, send a shockwave to our faith whenever God does not come through how we expect him to. Because we expect people to let us down. It's happened before, we know it's gonna happen again. But God, God is not a person. He is perfect. <laughs> like, I get, people can't, you know, live up to all my expectations, but isn't, isn't God supposed to be able to do that? Isn't he perfect? Isn't he divine? How do I handle a divine disappointment? How do I handle God not coming through? Who in the world, like whenever, whenever you don't come through for me, whenever you don't come through for me, I can talk to God about it. If God doesn't come through for me, who in the world do I plead my case to? <laughs> like who, who do I go to then? It's like if you've ever been upset and you, you call like a customer service line and you're like, look, my, my service has been messed up. I've been trying to get my phone fixed. You guys haven't been able to do it or I was supposed to get a discount on this and the discount's gone now and what, what in the world's going on? And you're talking to the person and, you know, they're polite, but they're just not helpful. And so you're like, okay, look, can, I, I'm not trying to be mean, but can I talk to the manager? Like, can I talk to the manager? I need to talk to someone who can actually help me with this. And the person says back to you, I am the manager. <laughs> and you're like, well, guess that's the end of this conversation then. <laughs> because there, there's no one then to escalate it to. Like, that's it. You've hit the ceiling. Like, whatever, like, I, I am the manager. You're like, well, all right, then I guess we're done. And that's what happens whenever... God lets us down whenever God doesn't meet our expectations. It's like, well, he's the manager. Who, who do we go to? Who do we go to? Who do we talk to if he lets us down, if he doesn't come through in the way that we expected him to? That's hard. And a lot of you today are in that position where you have looked back over 2020, you have looked at what this year has brought and you're going, really? <laughs> really? You couldn't meet, like, God, my expectations weren't even like crazy high. Like I just wanted to have a normal year and it's been blown to heck. And you're wondering, what, what, do, I, what do I do now? Like, what do I do now? How, how do I handle this divine disappointment? How do I handle a letdown, whatever? It's not from other imperfect people, but it's from a perfect God and he's let all this happen to me. How in the world do I handle that? And that takes us to what we're talking about today. Today's sermon title is, He Had to Go. He had to go, the expectations that we put on God. Like I said earlier, we usually use the NIV translation. Uh, it's, it's my favorite translation. I, I use a whole lot of different translations whenever I'm studying and getting ready for uh, a sermon, whenever I'm prepping for one. Uh, but typically the one that I like to read, the one I like to study the most is the NIV because it's a, it's a good balance. Some, some Bibles you'll get out there will be um, like a word for word translation, like word for word, which is great. Not too easy to read though. Other Bibles will be kind of like a thought for thought or kind of like a paraphrase, which is nice, but it's not as literal as the, the word for word. So the NIV, it's a really good balance of both. It's a nice balance of word for word translation and thought for thought translation. So that's why we use the NIV so much. Um, but today, as I was studying and I was looking at Luke chapter two, I was looking at it through different translations and um, I really liked how the NLT phrased it. I really like how the NLT, the New Living Translation, phrased it because a lot of the other ones, they all sound very similar. Let me read you just a few different uh, uh, translations of the same set of verses, okay? Um, so the NIV, this is how it says it. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. So that's the NIV, New International Version. Let's look at the English Standard Version. This is what they say. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house in the lineage of David. 
sounds par for the course, right? Sounds pretty similar to what we just heard from the NIV. One more. This is the New American Standard Bible. This is how they phrase it. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David. Some of you probably think I just read the exact same set from each one. Those are all different. They're all different. That was the NIV, uh, uh, the New American Standard, and the English Standard. Um, all great. Like, it shows you there's consistency there. But this is how the NLT phrases it. And we just read it, but I want to read it one more time for you, okay? Because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go. He had to go. Put it in the comments. He had to go to Bethlehem and in Judea, David's ancient home. Because he was a descendant of David, he had to go. The NLT, New Living Translation, is the only one to phrase it that way, that he had to go. He had to go. He had to leave. I love, I love that it phrases it that way because it, it gives this idea that like, David had no control. He had, or that uh, Joseph and Mary, they had no control. They, they had to do this. They had to go. They, they, they were forced into the situation. And I love that. And that really stuck out to me because I'm like, man, that's, that's us. That's all of us. That is 2020 in a nutshell. He had to go. He had to go through this. We've had to go through this. We've had to go through all of this stuff that we have been going through. We have all had some of these had to go moments during the last 12 months, Right? Like we have all had to go through something. Maybe you've had to go work from home. <laughs> Maybe you've been used to working in an office situation and now you have to work at home. That's your new situation you're trying to figure out. You're still like get, trying to get your office set up and like you're, you're going from room to room trying to find a quiet spot <laughs> to be able to work. Maybe you don't even really have an office set up yet. It's just whatever room is quietest this day, that's where you'll be, right? <laughs> so you're working from home. Some of you, you had to go to work. You had to go into your office. You had to go into our a building. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are our frontline workers and your nurses and your doctors. And we just want to give you, first off, a round of applause for everything that you are doing out there. But, but there's some people who you have to go. You, you still have to go out there. You're, you're working at a grocery store. You're, you're a post office worker, any of these people, and you still have to go to work. Um, maybe, maybe you're someone who you've had to figure out how to make your outfits work with a mask. <laughs> like you're, you're like, how is this going to work? And geez, I've, I've had to figure out how to make my mask work with glasses because constantly fogging up. Is there anyone else out there? And if you have any recommendations, Put them in the comments because I need help. It's, I need a defrost on my glasses. It's driving me nuts. But you, you've had to figure that out. You've had to figure out how to make this uh, work. You had to go through this. Um, some parents, you've had to go and become a part-time teacher. <laughs> like you were at home becoming essentially a teacher. You are picking up packets and you're doing at-home learning with your kid. And doesn't mean all the rest of your life stops. You just had to pick this up in addition to it. And it's time consuming and it's frustrating and you don't know if you're really doing that great of a job and are your kids even really picking this up. Some of you have had to go through the pain of losing someone and you didn't even get to be by their side. You've had to watch someone pass away, go from this world to the next and the last time you talked to them was months ago. The last time you saw them in person was months ago and you've had to go through that. So, like I said, as I'm reading Luke chapter 2, and I see that Joseph and Mary had to go, that just jumped out at me. Like, man, I can, I can relate to that. 
I can relate to the feeling of just no control of this is just what life is throwing at you. This is what the enemy is throwing at you. This is just the situation that you've been dealt and you have to go through it. But why? Why? Why, why do we have to go through this? I mean, we're, we're Christians, right? We follow an all-powerful, sovereign God. Why in the world do we have to go through this? I mean, if, if you haven't asked yourself that at some point, then maybe I'm the only, you know, faith-lacking uh, Christian here, but I've asked myself that plenty of times. Like, God, really? Like a worldwide pandemic? But do we really have to go through this? <laughs> do, we, do we really have to go through this? Do we really have to go through at-home learning? Do we really have to go through all of these closures and people losing their jobs and jobs going away that will never exist again? Like, do we really have to go through this, through all of the death, through people losing loved ones and not even being able to be by their side? God, you are in control. Do we have to? <laughs> like, do we have to go through this? Why don't you stop this? Aren't you in control here? Aren't you in control? It's funny. It makes me think of um, my, my oldest daughter, Eden, whenever she'll, like, just recently, she was wanting to play. Um, and I had been playing with the girls, but they wanted me to go downstairs and play, which is like a whole nother world down there. Like, <laughs> once they get you down there, they want to keep you down there for a while. And so she's like, Let, let's go play. Can you come downstairs and play with this, please, please? And I said, oh, honey, I don't know. And her response just made me laugh because I said, oh, honey, I don't know. And she said, who, who would know? And I'm like, well, no, I don't. <laughs> you see what she's saying? She's like, well, who, who would know here? And that's kind of how I feel in this situation with God. Like, God, you are the one in control. Like Eden saying, well, who would know? Because dad, you're the one I'm asking. You should be in control here. You should know if you're coming down, right? <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel with God in this situation. I'm like, God, you, you are the manager, you're, you're, the, you're the last one, you're the buck stop, and so you should know that things are terrible, and we should know why you're not doing anything about it. Like, why, why are we having to go through this right now? Why are we having to go through all the craziness that we're going through in the world? Why the unmet expectations? Why the letdowns? Why the divine disappointments? And if you're asking those questions, I want you to first off know you are not alone, that your pastor asks those questions, that the church staff asks those questions, that the worship team asks those questions, that our ministry partners ask those questions, the leadership board asks those questions, Pastor Brenda asks those questions, everyone asks those questions. We all are wondering, what is this about? Is there a bigger meaning to this? Is there a bigger purpose to this? What is going on? What happens when God seemingly lets us down? You are not alone. And I want you to also know this, in the midst of your disappointment, in the midst of your letdown, God is speaking to you. In the midst of it, God's speaking to you. In the midst of it, he wants you to see what he is doing and what he is working in the midst of our letdowns. So let's go back to the text with that in mind. So Luke chapter two, I wanna read just the opening again. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Verse three, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee and Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Now they had to go, right? Joseph and Mary had to go. And why did they have to go? Well, if you look at what we just read, it seems pretty clear. They had to go because Caesar Augustus issued this decree, right? That's the thing that sets this all into motion. He issues this decree that, hey, everyone needs to go back to their ancestral hometown. You need to uh, get there to register for the census to be taxed. So it's pretty clear that's why this is happening. And so it's pretty clear that Caesar is in control. 
that he is the one making everything happen. He is the one who is, uh, uh, you know, kickstarting this. He's making all of this uh, go into play. And your life may seem that way right now too. That the Caesar of your life, the enemy in your life is the one in control. He's the one who is making all of these things happen in your life that are super inconvenient, that are not what you expected. They're not what you asked for this year. And so it must be the enemy. God, the enemy doing another thing. Satan throwing more my way. The devil just won't leave me alone. He just keeps throwing things my way and throwing things my way. And my life right now is just so crazy and it's the enemy, it's the enemy. But look at what it says in Matthew. Now, you don't have to go there. We don't have the words popping up on the screen. I just want to read this to you real quick. This is from Matthew chapter 2. This is also a, 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 an account of Jesus' birth, just from a different author, different perspective. This is what it says in Matthew. So for everyone feeling like, oh, that's the enemy in control, the crazy stuff in my life, this is, this is the enemy and he's working against me, listen what it says in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so he's already been born, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Verse five, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, the prophet being the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So I wanna ask you again, who was in control of Joseph and Mary having to go to Bethlehem? Was it really Caesar? Was it really Caesar? Looked like he was in control, right? I mean, he issues this census and they have to go there. They have to go there because of the census, but we see, no, 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 no. They had to go there because God ordained it. They had to go there because Micah, 700 years prior says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. God's in control. God's in control. And I know your life may not seem like it right now, God is in control. Even the things that are the unmet expectations, that are the letdowns, that are the desires that have not come true for you, I wanna let you know God is still in control. Just because I didn't expect it does not mean God didn't ordain it. Just because I didn't expect it doesn't mean God did not allow it, right? Just because I'm not expecting these things to happen, just because it's not what I expected it to look like, just because it's not what I expected it to feel like does not mean God did not ordain it or God did not allow it. God is still in control. He is still in control. He still sits on the throne. He sat on the throne in Mary and Joseph's situation and it probably didn't feel like that to them. Because if you're them, you're going, okay, we have been thrown one curveball after the other. Like we... <laughs> We were supposed to just get married. It was supposed to be good and just normal. But then we find out, Mary, you're, you're pregnant and you've never slept with a man before and it's the Holy Spirit and, and it's gonna be the savior of the world. It's gonna be the Messiah that we've been praying for all this time. As if that's not crazy enough to have to deal with, we get to the end of the pregnancy and suddenly we are thrust with this crazy situation of having to travel dozens of miles to another land while you're about to give birth, all because of the census. Like this is crazy. Like, God, where are you? 
This is not what we expected. <laughs> this is not what we expected from our marriage. This isn't what we expected from this pregnancy. This is not what we expected at all. And you are probably in a very similar situation where you're looking at 2020, you're looking at where your, uh, your work career stands, you're looking at where your marriage stands and where your family stands and where your kids are at. You're looking at all these situations, you're going, this is not what I expected. Like this is not what I expected at all. This is, this is not where I wanted to be come the end of 2020, but I wanna let you know God is still in control. It may look like the enemy is in control. He's not. God still sits on the throne. Just because I didn't expect it doesn't mean God didn't ordain it and God didn't allow it, right? Just because I didn't expect it doesn't mean God didn't ordain it. And I mean, let's just be real. Of, of, <laughs> of course, I don't expect how God's going to work because he's God, right? He's God. Like, of course, I can't expect, oh, this is probably what God's going to do here. This is how God's going to make it work because he is God. You want to know what my expectations for 2020 looked like and my expectations in general for my life? They look like an easy life for me. <laughs> That's my expectations. My expectations for my life are, um, you know, wonderful marriage and a long life. And whenever I do die, it's, it's way down the road and it's in my sleep and it's super peaceful and I'm very successful pastor and the church is doing great and my kids all, all, all graduate uh, uh, high school and go to college if they want to. And if they do, they succeed and they, they just do great in life and they find great spouses to marry. That's my expectations. <laughs> like, that's what I'm planning for, for myself. But did you notice that my expectations are all about me? They're all self-focused. They're all self-focused. It's what we talked about a few weeks ago. I'm the star of my own movie. And so all my expectations honestly could give a fly and rip about everybody else because I'm all thinking about like, oh yeah, this is what I would like to happen for me and for my life and for my kids and for my wife and my family. It's all self-centered. <laughs> like It's all self-centered. God's expectations, what God is planning out, a tad bit more broad than me. <laughs> he sees a little bit more than what I'm seeing because I'm just seeing myself. I am the star of my own movie. And so uh, what I wanna say is God's plan differs from my plan because God's perspective differs from my perspective, right? I mean, God's plan, it's a tad bit different from my plan because his perspective is wildly different than my perspective. He sees what I don't see. He's thinking about what I don't think about. He's got a full on view of everything that's going on. You see, most of us, me included, we ain't playing chess. <laughs> like, we're playing checkers. We're seeing one move at a time, maybe two. <laughs> like that, that's it. That, that's as far in advanced as things are. So of course, my expectations, my plan is severely limited because I am only seeing a few moves down the line. I'm only seeing a few moves at a time. My perspective is different. God's plan is different than my plan because God's perspective is different from my perspective. I'm limited. I'm limited. My expectations are colored by my limited perspective. Again, let's jump back to Joseph and Mary. Let's imagine that they're real people, because they were. What kind of expectations must they have had? They must have been expecting, okay, God, we've been serving you, Mary said yes to this crazy pregnancy. Like she said yes to, to uh, like she accepted this and, and I've, I've done the right thing. I've stuck by her side. We've been faithful to you. We, we've, we've honored each other. We've been faithful to you. And so God, we, we would expect, <laughs> we would expect that the end of this pregnancy would be normal. 
just chill, <laughs> just like as normal as a pregnancy would be. But instead, they are sent on this trip to Bethlehem. They're sent on this crazy trip to Bethlehem. And we really need to like understand how nuts this trip was. So the distance from Bethlehem to, uh, uh, to from his town to where Bethlehem is, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, it's not like a, a short little journey. It's about 90 miles. It's about 90 miles. The trip uh, knowing how they would have taken it, probably would have taken them anywhere between eight to 10 days, which is just shocking. Eight to 10 days of walking or riding on a donkey or riding in, in some kind of uh, uh, you know, transportation device to get down there. But eight to 10 days of that, going through pretty rough terrain, especially once you hit the hills outside of Jerusalem, some pretty rough terrain that they're going through. Not only that, again, she's like super pregnant, about to give birth. They most likely, I know we always see it in uh, movies and we see the pictures, just the two of them traveling with a donkey and stuff. That's probably not how it went down. Most people didn't do that, especially in ancient times. They would travel in packs. They would travel in caravans to protect themselves from being raided by uh, anybody who, who may try to like steal stuff from them. So uh, not, a, not like any privacy, right? You've got this poor woman who is in the like final days of her pregnancy, surrounded by strangers, surrounded by other people, probably making the same trip to go to Bethlehem to register for the census. And then all the, the cherry on top of all that they're not even going there for a fun reason. Like the census, they were getting ready to pay taxes. Like, yay. Like that, doesn't that sound great? Like the, 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 the gold at the end of the rainbow is paying taxes to the Roman government. Awesome. Like so glad we're making this trip so we can pay some money for it. So if, if you're them and this is what you're seeing, this is your perspective, you're going, he had to go. Why? Why do we have to go? Why do I have to go? God, why are you putting us through this? Look how crazy this is. From my perspective, what I'm seeing, God, this is ridiculous. Why do we have to go to Bethlehem? Why couldn't we have just stayed and had the baby where we were and then do this, this crazy stuff afterwards? Why did we have to go? Well, I want us to dive into something real quick in the last moments that we're together. I'm gonna tell you right now, this is gonna be pretty heady stuff, a lot of dates, a lot of numbers, a lot of names, stuff like that. Please stay with me. Please stay with me because I promise there's some amazing, amazing stuff that God's about to reveal to us from his word in these next moments. So again, Joseph and Mary's perspective. This is difficult. This is crazy. God, why do we have to go to Bethlehem? Why do we have to make this trip? God's perspective, on the other hand. God's perspective. Let's, let's look at some of these uh, events and how they tie to the birth of Jesus. So we're gonna jump back from Jesus's birth. We're gonna go back in history almost 2000 years, okay? To 1800 BC, 1800 BC. In the book of Genesis in chapter 35, we get this story of Jacob, who's one of uh, the, the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. We get the story of Jacob and his wife, Rachel, and how uh, as they're traveling, Rachel uh, begins to give birth to a son, begins to give birth to a son, and it's a very difficult childbirth, very difficult. And she actually, after she gives birth, she ends up passing away from the difficulty of uh, childbirth. And so she gives birth to this son, and she knows she's about to die. She knows she's about to die. And so she names her son Ben-Oni, which literally means son of my sorrow. That she is, in, what it means is that she's just so sorrowful that she's giving birth to the son, and she's not even going to be able to experience his life. She's just brokenhearted by it. And so she gives birth to the son, names him Ben-Oni. After he's born, Jacob, his father, gives him a new name, renames him Benjamin. 
renames him Benjamin. And what Benjamin means literally is son of my right hand. And right hand is a symbolic for strength. And so Jacob is saying, hey, look, I, I, it, you were the son of sorrow for your mother. She's not able to be here to see you. But for me, you're my strength. You're my strength that I do have you, that I do have you to, to, to be with and to have as a companion. And I get to see your mother through you. So he calls him a son of his right hand. Now, all of this happened. Rachel gave birth to Benjamin and Rachel died and she was buried. All of this happened, guess where? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. This all happened in Bethlehem in around the year 1800 BC. So they buried Rachel uh, near this place called uh, Migdal Eder. Migdal Eder. It's like a, a watchtower. It literally, that, those words translate to tower of the flock. And so in, in Bethlehem, there's this place where there's this like, uh, kind of like a watchtower, this stony structure where shepherds would watch over their flock. Like it was kind of elevated so they could watch their flock uh, uh, just to make sure everything was okay. And that's where they buried her was right near Migdal Eder, this tower of the flock. So that all happens in 1800 BC. Hope you're still tracking with me. Let's jump forward 800 years into the future, okay? So from 800 BC to 1000 BC, when we get this man, this holy man of God uh, by the name of Samuel, he's a prophet of God, uh, and God gives him this mission because the nation of Israel at this time is under the leadership of King Saul, but King Saul has become wicked. He's not listening to God. He's sinning against God. So God tells Samuel, this holy man, hey, I'm sending you on a mission. I'm, I'm giving you uh, uh, this mission to go anoint a new king. I'm rejecting Saul as king. I'm going to send you to go and anoint this new king. I'm sending you to the house of this man named Jesse. Samuel goes, great, where, where, where does he live? Guess where he lives? Bethlehem. <laughs> so Samuel sets on his way, goes to Bethlehem, gets there, asks to see Jesse's sons. Jesse brings them all forward, son after son after son, and Samuel feels God telling him no to each one, to every single one, until all of them. It's been no with all of them. And Samuel says to Jesse, is this it? Like, are these all of your sons? And Jesse says, no, I, I do have one other son, David. He's out in the fields watching over the sheep. Again, seeing the connection here, right? So they go and get David, bring him back. God confirms, yes, this is it. Uh, he's the new king. So Samuel anoints him, and, uh, anoints him, and that's going to be, David's gonna be the next king of Israel. So that all happens in about 1,000 B.C. Let's skip ahead 300 years, 300 years. David has become king. He's established Israel as like a powerhouse in the region. Uh, he's lived and died. Solomon, his son, has lived and died. Kings have come and gone in Israel. And Israel went from being a nation on the rise because they were following God to a nation that has collapsed because they ignored God. They, they fell into wicked ways. They fell into sin. And so Israel has collapsed. And so around the year 700 BC, there is a prophet by the name of Micah. We actually just read some of his words from the book of Matthew. There's this prophet Micah. And Micah is a vessel for God to speak through. And God is giving Micah these visions uh, and these prophecies of what is to come. And in Micah, we have in his book of his prophecies, we have two different places where he specifically talks about the birth of Jesus. Again, this is 700 years before Jesus was born, but Micah talks about in Micah chapter four, verse eight, he talks about how there will be a, a, a king coming from the tower of the flock, a king coming from the tower of the flock to watch over and be the shepherd of his people. And then we also, in the very next chapter of the book of Micah, in Micah chapter five, we have him talking about out of Bethlehem, out of this tiny little town in Israel, that 
the leader, the, the, the true leader of the nation of Israel will come forth one day and he will be the, the true leader, the true king of the nation of Israel. So all of that happens around 700 BC. <clears throat> so from there, we jump forward to where we've been reading today, Luke chapter two. So Luke chapter two, we see this story of Jesus being born and I'm gonna test your, your Sunday school here. After Jesus is born, who are the first people to hear about it? Who's the first people the angels appear to? The shepherds, the shepherds, absolutely. 10 points to everybody who got that right. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever you hear about the shepherds, what do you expect? You expect that the shepherds are just what we always see. These like poor, downtrodden guys all by themselves out and alone in the field. That's what we expect. That's what we think of the shepherds. In actuality, these shepherds were fulfilling priestly duties. They were fulfilling holy duties by watching over these sheep. This is why we know that. There is a thing called the Mishnah, which is uh, old Jewish oral traditions and writings from the, uh, the period of the Pharisees, which is the period when Jesus was born during this time. And we know that in Israel, it was illegal for anyone to raise sheep, to raise a flock, unless it was out in the wilderness. If it wasn't out in the wilderness, the only reason they could raise the sheep is if they were keeping the sheep for temple services, for sacrifice. So that means these shepherds in Luke chapter two were performing priestly duties by raising these sheep to become sheep that would be used in the sacrifice for sins. I hope you're following with me here. So these sheep were being raised in a field near Bethlehem, which most theologians believe was probably the Migdal Adair region, the the area where there's the tower of the flock, where you're able to watch over the flock. Now get this, these shepherds, these priestly shepherds, Whenever lambs would be born that were perfect, that were without flaw, that were acceptable to be used, they fit all the requirements to be used for temple sacrifice, guess what they would do? They would take the sheep, this is what we know from tradition, they would take these sheep, they would wrap them in cloth, and they would lie them in a feeding trough to make sure that nothing happened to them so that they could be used for sacrifice. They had to go to Bethlehem. That only happened in this area, in the Migdal Adair region where the temple flock was kept. So think about that moment when the angels appear to these priestly shepherds who are raising these these animals that will be used for sacrifice one day, sacrifice for sin, and the first people to hear about the birth of Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, were these priestly shepherds hearing that, hey, one day you're gonna be out of a job. because the perfect lamb of God has come. He's been born today in Bethlehem. You can find him. Micah, Micah, his prophecies about a king coming from from Bethlehem to watch over his flock were fulfilled. Samuel anointing King David and telling David, your line, your kingship will never end, being fulfilled. And the true king, his his ancestor, Jesus, coming and fulfilling that, being the true king, the king that would always sit on the throne. Uh, uh, Going back to Genesis, whenever uh, Jesus, Jacob and Rachel and their son being born, they name him Ben-Oni, son of sorrow. Isaiah tells us that Jesus is the man of sorrow. God tells us that Jesus sits at his right hand. We see all of these things being fulfilled because Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They had to go there. They had to go there. They had to go to Bethlehem. 
This wasn't just some, man, God, what are you doing? And man, we had expectations of what was gonna happen. We thought it was gonna be easy. Why do we have to go there? Our perspective is limited. God had been writing a story since 1800 BC that they were playing a part of. They just didn't know. They couldn't see it. But God's plan differs from my plan because God's perspective differs from my perspective. So in closing, what I wanna say to you, what what appears to be a letdown in your life, what appears to be God not coming through for you, what appears to be your worst moment can become God's greatest miracle. That moment that just feels like it can't get any worse than this, God can do something amazing out of it. He can bring a miracle out of your life if you believe it, if you see it, if you trust that God, I know this is not my plan, but I know your plan is better. God, this isn't what I can see, but I know your perspective is better than mine. Do you trust him in that way? The last thing I wanna share with you, my mom, Pastor Brenda, back in 2010, she was supposed to go to Haiti. She was supposed to go to Haiti for a, a, a trip. Uh, she runs uh, Clear Blue, the nonprofit uh, to build clean water wells. She was supposed to go to Haiti for a missions trip to be a part of that, to see the work that they were doing, all this amazing stuff. She ended up having a mild heart attack like less than a week before her flight left, brokenhearted just broken hearted. She wasn't allowed to go. She couldn't believe it. She was supposed to go there, be there, be a part of this, wasn't able to be a part of it to see anything, broken hearted. While the rest of the team was down there, the big earthquake hit, the 2010 Haiti earthquake. Most likely she would have been killed. Most likely she would have been killed. Where she was staying, the entire building collapsed. There were no survivors in that building. And so what seemed at the moment to be a huge disappointment to her, a huge letdown, God, how could you let this happen right before I was supposed to go? It ended up becoming a miracle in her life. You have no idea what God's working in your life. You have no idea. You have no idea. Your perspective is limited. Our perspective is limited. We have got to trust him. Trust that his perspective is greater. Trust that the letdowns, that the worst moments of our life can actually become the greatest miracles if we just trust in God and we don't lose hope. I wanna pray with you about that right now. Father God, I know there are people in our church who are hurting right now. There are people going through some stuff, some stuff that they thought you were gonna prevent, that you were gonna step in. They had expectations of what you were gonna do and God, you didn't fulfill it how they thought you were. And they're confused and they're scared and they're wondering where are you? Aren't you in control? God, let the story of Christmas be the reminder that you were in control, (laughs) that our perspective is just limited, but you have been writing a story, just like with the birth of Jesus, what seemed to be so inconvenient to Joseph and Mary was actually the fulfillment of things that you had set in motion 2,000 years prior that was all pointing to the birth of your son, Jesus. So God, in our situation, help these moments that, that are letdowns, that are unmet expectations, help us to see these and to realize, you know what, there's a bigger story at play here. There's more going on than what I know, and I'm gonna trust it to you. I'm gonna trust it to God because I know I can trust him. I know he'll be good. I know that he'll see me through. Thank you for being a good father who we can trust, Lord. We love you so much, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.